another edition of the From the Stands podcast on today's show, recapping week seven of the NFL season and previewing the NFL trade deadline, which is less than a week away. We're almost there. It's an exciting day. There's always a lot of movement, but as always, let's start with last week's game and we kick it off with the Thursday game where the Eagles barely squeezed out a win versus the Giants. They won 22 to 21 with Wentz throwing for 359 yards and two touchdowns. He continues to do what he does and elevates lesser receiver talent and make big time throws, big time plays. It was a great pass he had to Boston Scott in the end zone to give his team the go-ahead touchdown. Brandon Graham also came up late with a strip sack reminiscent of the one he had in the Patri- against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, sacking Tom Brady and securing that Super Bowl win. This Eagles defense continues to get better. I know they gave up 20, 21 points, but it's still 20 points in a year where the league scoring is high, and I do see some improvements in this Eagles defense. Just got to continue to get better. Key to that is Fletcher Cox and improved play out of the secondary, specifically Darius Slate. For the Giants, I thought their defense wasn't bad. James Bradbury continues to be really good, but the real problems for this team were on offense. Andrew Thomas had a horrible night at left tackle, got beat over and over again, and Daniel Jones had another abysmal night as well. He had two turnovers and 187 passing yards, and he had that touchdown run he was supposed to have, and then he just tripped on the turf monster and falls over. And it's just kind of what the Giants season has been, was just kind of reminiscent of that one play where Jones runs, trips on nothing, and just the Giants continue to be fumbling their entire season. So moving on, we have the Steelers getting a huge win versus the Tennessee Titans. The biggest reason for this was Ben Roethlisberger, who threw for 268 yards and two touchdowns. He had three interceptions, but they weren't really on him. Yes, the late one he forced to Juju, but I thought that was more an exceptional play by Jayon Brown, the Titans inside linebacker. So I give him the most credit on that one. Ben was really efficient throughout the game, which is why they were able to control the clock for a lot of the first half. Lots of short passes. Run game was pretty strong with James Conner rushing for 80 yards. The receivers, Juju added one of his better games of the season. Same for Deontay Johnson. So I thought the Steelers offense continues to do enough to help them to win games versus the Steelers defense. That's the true true star of the show. This front four, when you talk about Hayward, Dupree, to it and Watt continues to stifle every offense that gets in their way. They did a great job smoking the Tennessee rushing attack. Henry only had a 70 yards and they really held him in check for the first half. The second half, you get those interceptions and start to pile up. And that's when Tannehill kind of got going. He had 220 yards and two touchdowns. And I thought he played better after a slow start. AJ Brown continues to play like one of the best receivers in the league with six receptions at 153 yards and a touchdown. He is a big time player, but it was just too little too late as Goskowski missed that field goal for the win. Leading, leading to what would have been a forced overtime, I should say, not the win, but they lost 27-24. to 24. Now, shifting off one AFC North team in the Steelers to another one, to another two teams in the Browns and Bengals. What a game this was. And Baker was the true catalyst to the win for this team. He started horribly. Over five, five intercept, over five, and he threw an interception. And the biggest thing was on that interception, Odell goes down with an injury. A huge loss for this Browns offense. Or what you think would be a huge loss for this Browns offense. Because Baker rose to the occasion without him. Throwing for, after that a horrible start, over 5, he threw for 297 yards, 5 touchdowns, and was 22 of 23 passing. Absolutely took over the game. And Baker's weird. Because it's almost like the great receivers, the OBJs, the Jarvis Landers, he makes them a little worse. But those lesser receivers, he makes those guys better. You saw Rashad Higgins get going. Donovan Peoples-Jones, their seventh-round pick, caught that game-winning touchdown. Harrison Bryant had the best game of his career. David Njoku got to see the end zone. So Baker played exceptional, made lots of high-level throws down the field. So I give him a ton of credit 
for responding after a horrible first quarter. So props to Baker. And also just shifting the Browns defense for a second. They weren't very good, but Miles Garrett leads the NFL in sacks and is right up there with Aaron Donald for Defensive Player of the Year front runners. For the Bengals, Burrow was unbelievable again. 460 passing yards, he had three touchdowns, and he had 36 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown, so four total touchdowns. The the receivers, and this offense is just a lot of fun because you got Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, A.J. Green. They're really fun, and I enjoy watching them play a lot. It'll be interesting to see if A.J. Green's there after the trade deadline, but for right now, the Bengals are a very fun watch. Just couldn't get it quite done because their defense still is not very good. Moving on, we have the Lions capping off an unbelievable comeback versus the Falcons. I know, shocking. The Falcons blew another lead. They they lost 23-22 to to the Lions. They had the win. The Falcons had it. All Gurley had to do, he runs for the first down. He just has to go down. And what happens? He breaks through the line, and he breaks through, sees the hole. He's running, shakes off tackle. He's like, oh, no, I need to go down, and tries to fall down. But the nose of that ball just crosses the white line. A touchdown. It's a hilarious picture where you got Lions defender saying he's in and Todd Gurley saying, no, I wasn't in because if he goes down there, they can take a knee. Game's over. He doesn't go down there. And Matt Stafford in this excellent Lions offense in the one-minute drill because of those wide receivers on the outside, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones Jr., Danny Amendola always makes big-time plays like this. DeAndre Swift is best as a receiving back. And, of course, TJ Hawkinson, who caught the game-winning touchdown pass. This offense is great for one-minute drill, and that's a one-minute drill, and that's exactly what they they did and give them credit they were gonna they won an ugly game it was a low scoring game this game was originally only going to be like 18 to 16 before this crazy last two minutes happened in which the Lions had this comeback the Lions did trade for Everson Griffin as well so I think that'll help them boost their pass rush as a three and three team help them continue to push for the postseason what else do you say about the Falcons I mean they do it again they continue to blow leads it's just I don't think Julio Jones and Matt Ryan are going to be traded this offseason I think Julio's on a Falcon next year. I don't think Matt Ryan is a Falcon next year. I think they're going to move off him. Really quick, though, do have to shout out with uh, Keanu Neal, the Falcon safety. He had 11 tackles, one sack, and two tackles for lost. He was everywhere and the catalyst for the success this team had on defense. But next up, we have the Saints winning against the Panthers, 27-24. to this was a, Both quarterbacks played pretty well in this game, with Breeze going for 287 yards and two touchdowns, and Bridgewater going for 254 yards and two touchdowns. The Saints did a really good job not letting the Panthers get any ground game going. Mike Davis had been one of the surprises to start the NFL season. He had less than 15 yards. In fact, no Panther rusher, even Bridgewater, whenever he would run, had more than 15 yards. So they did a great job there. But as you can see with Bridgewater's passing numbers, he had a decent day through the air. And the key to his success through the air was DJ Moore, who had four receptions for 93 yards and a touchdown. The Panthers were in position to win this game late. They had a 65-yard field goal they tried, which would have been an NFL record inside. They The NFL records, usually those hap, those kind of kicks happen up in Denver where Matt Prater had it back with the Broncos. He tried it in the dome of New Orleans, Mercedes-Benz, and ends up falling just short, and they end up losing. Another key takeaway I have from this game is Brian Burns. He's becoming a star, the Panthers' edge rusher. He is tied for the league lead with three forced fumbles. All his sacks are forced fumbles, but he just continues to play better and better, and I really like what I see out of him. But you know who I don't like what I'm seeing out of right now is the Buffalo Bills. They got a win versus the Jets, but they struggled 18-10. to 10. The Bills never punted, which is crazy, but they struggled once they got in the red zone. They had some missed field goals as well, and it's just concerning right now. I think Josh Allen is a little bit off. The Bills do struggle to run the ball. And another issue for them is sometimes I look at a guy like Stephon Diggs and I do question his effort. 
I did. I'll give the Jets credit. Greg Williams is a good defensive coordinator, and he did some good things. Quinn and Williams is also really coming on strong and looking like the top three pick he was out of that 2019 draft. But the Bills' offensive struggles aren't the only struggles this team has to worry about. Their defense. They struggle in man coverage outside of Tredavious White. And they really struggle to rush the passer, which is weird. They have a lot of solid guys, Mario Addison, Ed Oliver, Jerry Hughes. But those guys don't consistently get after the quarterback enough like they really could. And this game was there to have with the Jets. Like I said, the Bills struggled to convert in the end zone, which is why you get 18 points, six field goals. But Sam Darnold had a rough night. The Jets' offense lacks talent. It was great to see Denzel Mims back, though, and he made a couple of nice plays. But Darnold had two interceptions, 120 yards, and was sacked six times. That's one thing that helps this Bills' pass rush get going, at least in this game, was how bad the Jets' offensive line is. Bills' pass rush is a concern for the season, but against the Jets, you're not going to have that issue, so... Jets continue to be a dumpster fire in offense and not a good showing out of Donald, but it's not like the team helps him out. Next up, we have the Washington football team blasting the Cowboys 25-3. This was an insane game, summed up perfectly by when John Bostick smashed Andy Dalton. It was an illegal hit. He got tossed from the game, but seeing no one on the Cowboys get in his face or defend his teammates was very disappointing. It kind of shows you where this team is right now. And if that doesn't show you where this team is right now and not believing themselves, not the passion, not the energy and the mistakes they make, look no further than Mike Nolan, their defensive coordinator's press conference in which he got Tabasco sauce on his hands and then touched his eye and they had to stop the press conference because his eye was breaking out a little bit or I forget what the rash, whatever the term is, his eye was really bothering him. So the Cowboys are just an absolute dumpster fire disaster and they're a team to monitor at the trade deadline. Already shipped out Everson Griffin. We'll see if they send anyone else away although most of their guys are hurt anyways. So be interesting to see how that whole situation shakes out. For the Washington football team, their defensive line continues to stifle opposing offenses. Antonio Gibson was really good in this game, their rookie running back out of Memphis. He had 128 rushing yards, and by far his best game as a pro. He's only playing running back his second year. His first year of it was at Memphis, so continues to come along at that position. Terry McLaurin was pretty good in this game. He had 90 yards and one touchdown. And most importantly for the Washington football team is Ron Rivera, who officially beat cancer after being diagnosed a few months ago with it. So congrats to him and the Washington football team for still being in the hunt for this awful NFC East division crown. But moving on to our next game, we have Aaron and Adam absolutely torching the Texans, 35-20. to Aaron Rodgers, 283 yards, four touchdowns, responds after that bad game he had in Tampa. Devontae Adams had a bad game in Tampa as well. He responds, 196 yards and two touchdowns. This is one of the best QB wide receiver duos in the league, not just because of what they can do on the field, but they have exceptional chemistry as well, and you can see them really take advantage of a bad Houston defense. Deshaun Watson continues to be the only positive for the Houston Texans. He had two touchdowns and 304 yards. It is the only reason his team was even in this game, like a sense of in the game in terms of, oh, well, if this happens, if there's a turnover and this happens, then somehow they could still come back. That was the only thing you could really say nice about this Texans offense. They can't run the ball. Their defense isn't good. And once the Packers get get a lead, that pass rush can get going. So I think that's a nice advantage they have going for them right now. But shifting to our next game, we have the Buccaneers mauling the Raiders 45-20. to Brady continues to play like an MVP candidate, 369 yards and four touchdowns. I'm starting to think I was wrong about Brady. And yes, he does have a great offensive line. They're doing a great job protecting him right now. But he is playing really well. And you got to give him credit for that, especially because those receivers are not 100% healthy. A guy that I'm really impressed with how he's coming along, though, for Tampa is Devin White. He had 11 tackles, three sacks, and two tackles for loss. Their top five pick from just a year ago continues to come on strong. And him and Levante David are an extremely intimidating duo. 
they did this Buccaneers front seven did a great job of slowing down, stopping, containing the Raiders rushing attack. They had no run game, so it was on Derek Carr, who actually didn't play that bad, 284 yards and two touchdowns, but does throw the interception late. And Carr is a fine, solid quarterback, but he can't do it on his own. He needs a run game, and the Raiders are predicated. Their offense is off the run, so without that, they weren't going to be able to get it done. And Antoine Winfield Jr. continues to play well. He's the one who had the big interception on Carr. And, of course, the Raiders' young defense got torched by a really good Tampa offense. So, shifting to our next game, we have the Chiefs clobbering the Broncos. This was surprising because Mahomes only threw for 200 yards. So, you're like, whoa, how'd they win? 43-16. to Well, it's because the Chiefs dominated on special teams and on defense. They forced four turnovers, and they had three touchdowns, two on defense, one on special teams, with Brian Pringle having that 100-plus yard kickoff return touchdown that broke the game. The Broncos were able to find the end zone early but Locke continued to struggle a little bit it'll it'll be you know I don't know how healthy he is coming off his injury in his second week but he hasn't played the best and it's just gonna be interesting to watch the monitor this Broncos offense and see if they are a good unit how they improve and we'll just have to keep a close eye on it as it continues on to see if Drew Locke is the guy or if they're gonna be in the hunt for a quarterback Locke was a second round pick for a reason let's not be quick to forget but this game really shows that Chiefs are more than just a offensive team their defense can do some good things as they did in this game so they're a complete team and still should be considered the best team in the nfl i know they had that dud against the raiders but overall they're still super bowl champs and are probably and may even be better than they were last year but moving to our next game we have the 49ers obliterating the patriots 33 to 6 wow this was a shock i did not see coming i was not ready to buy into the patriots or done talk because of the covid COVID thing with Cam, and I'm still not ready to completely throw them out yet, but I'm definitely not on the hype train of them being able to somehow make a Super Bowl run anymore versus last week. I thought there was still a chance. I think I still think this team can make the playoffs, but with how bad they were, oh man, the Patriots offense was horrible. They struggled to run the ball. They had four interceptions, three by Cam, one by Stedham when he came in. You're not going to win games when you have that many turnovers. The defense was okay. They forced a couple of turnovers on Garoppolo, but they just eventually wore down, and this team isn't very good in the front seven. What New England tries to do is they try to throw They pack the box with a lot of guys, but the guys they put in the box, they're not very good. So if teams run at them still, they try to scare you with the numbers. There's like, oh, there's eight guys in the box. But it's like, yeah, but our left guard can block two guys at once with ease because these guys just aren't very good football players. That's what New England tried to do. And the 49ers called their bluff. This is matchup is was so intriguing to me because you have Bill Belichick, the greatest defensive mind in football and head coach, Kyle Shanahan, the greatest offensive mind. And Shanahan emerged victorious. And one guy that is really reaping the benefits of the Shanahan offense is Brandon Ayuk, the former Arizona State wide receiver who had 115 yards and continues to play really well. I was a little surprised to see how much success this 49ers defense had because of all the injuries they're dealing with. But the one thing the 49ers defense does do very well, and I think the biggest reason they have success week in and week out, is their linebacker core. When you talk about Fred Warner, he's one of the best linebackers in football. And then you get Dre Greenlaw and Quan Alexander. That's the best linebacking core in the entire NFL, led by Warner. And they made some big-time plays. Warner especially really popped in the game. And he looks absolutely like one of the best linebackers in the NFL. But like I said for the Patriots, they just got to get healthy. They got to continue to practice through it. And I still think this team can make the playoffs because of good coaching. But shift into our next game, we have the Chargers beating the Jags 39 to 29. How about Justin Herbert? I mean seriously, this guy is sensational as a rookie. Four touchdowns, 347 yards, and he just continues to make big time throws, big time plays, and a lot of them to not the best well-known guys. 
One of the guys he hits on the deep ball is Jalen Guyton. It's not like he's playing in this absolutely loaded, stacked, talented offense. They rush the ball okay without Austin Eckler, so give him credit for continuing to make plays. Keenan Allen was also exceptional in this game with 10 receptions for 125 yards, and those two are pretty much the Chargers' offense, what they create. The Chargers' defense is still pretty good, but they did give up some big plays, which is a little concerning. They did have five sacks, which is nice. They were able to get after Minshew a little bit. And for the Jags, I think the biggest reason they were able to stay in this game was because you get the block punt, some special teams. They won the special team battle, which kept them, which kept them in the game. Jerome Robinson was really good with 119 rushing yards and one touchdown. And the Jaguars, that's just their young defense. They're just going to give up some big plays. And credit to Herbert for taking advantage of the plays that they gave him. But moving on to not just the game of the week, but the game of the NFL season in which the Cardinals defeated the Seahawks 37-34. to What an upset this was, and this game was just phenomenal for multiple reasons, but the biggest being Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray just both being spectacular, making unbelievable throws, and they became the only quarterbacks to throw for 300-plus yards and rush for 50-plus in the same game. Russell Wilson really got it going early, and him and Tyler Lockett honestly had it going for most of the night. Lockett had 200 yards and three touchdowns, and he, he is fantastic, especially his job he did keeping his feet in the back of the end zone to make another fantastic touchdown catch. Russ was, he hit the 380, but he was really good early. In the second half, the Cardinals defense did a really good job making adjustments, and he only had one touchdown in the second half. They held the seven second half points, so... Just holding on there a little bit, and they were able to get it done. But for Kyler, he had four touchdowns, 360 yards, and just wears defense down with his ability to scramble by his offense time. It's something that's really difficult for other teams to deal with. And you can tell teams really struggle with defending Kyler Murray for four quarters. DeAndre Hopkins was also really good with 103 yards and one touchdown. And if you think Kyler Murray likes having – if you don't know if he likes – having DeAndre Hopkins or not, just watch the clip of him realizing he's in single coverage and getting a huge smile on his face. But getting back to that Cardinals defense, you got guys like Asan Riddick who really stepped up their outside linebacker. He had 11 tackles, one sack, three tackles for loss. I thought Patrick Peterson did a pretty good job on DK Metcalf most of the night. And then you also had Buda Baker who had 14 tackles, a pick, and one and a half tackles for loss. Now, Buda Baker should have had a pick six, but DK Metcalf made the play of the year when he reached 22 miles per hour and chased Baker down to tackle him before the end zone. He It looked like he was just going to save by the offense a little extra time, but the Seahawks defense had a rare moment where they actually stepped up and the Cardinals went for it on fourth down, so they got zero points out of it. So without Metcalf's hustle, that's seven, and then the defense stepping up. That's a seven-point swing, all because of Metcalf's tackle and the play of that Seattle defense. So they stepped up there, but they didn't step up most of the game, obviously, since this was both teams got in the 30s. And he got late in overtime. Zane Gonzalez missed a kick. It looked like Russell Wilson was going to drive him down for the win. But Vance Joseph, the great job he did designing creative blitzes to kind of surprise and just lead to a Seattle offensive line that just didn't know how to pick stuff up, leading to lots of pressure on Russell Wilson. They looked like they were showing an all-out blitz. And Russ kind of predetermined where he was going to go with the throw without reading it. So as soon as the ball was snapped, he just threw it up to lock it. Well, Isaiah Simmons, first-round pick out of Clemson, who's barely played this year for them, gets a huge interception that ends up giving them the game. Basically, they drive down the other way. Zane Gonzalez makes the big-time kick, and they win the game. So give Joseph credit for those blitzes. And the Cardinals' defense were playing well in that second half. For Seattle's defense, they desperately missed Jamal Adams. They just traded for Carlos Dunlap, so that will finally help out with this pass rush. They get zero edge pressure all game long, and you can't get zero pressure on a guy like Kyler Murray. At least make him 
you at least got to try to contain him, and they couldn't even do that. So this is a great win for the Cardinals, and oh my gosh, this NFC West division is the, one of the best divisions we have seen in the last few years in the NFL. And finally, we have the Monday night football games with the Rams rocking the Bears 24-10. to Golf was pretty good in this game, 219 yards and two touchdowns. I thought the real star of the show, though, was this Rams defense. That guys continue to step up. Jalen Johnson, Taylor Rapp at safety. They just have done such a good job there. Jordan Fuller at safety as well. Aaron Donald. Leonard Floyd is having an unbelievable season. Donald is one of the front runners for Defensive Player of the Year. Michael Brockers, one of the best run stuffers in the league. And, of course, Jalen Ramsey, the $20 million man on the outside, who did have a big pick in this game. But they did a great job of just absolutely slowing down this Bears offense. They had could not do anything on offense all night long. They looked completely lost. Before the game, Nick Foles actually said sometimes – it was a little, it's one of those confusing things. Nick Foles tried to cover it up like, oh, it was a miscommunication. But I think it's true. Nagy likes to call certain plays, and Nick Foles is like, yeah, I'm not going to have the time to do this. And there's a little miscommunication there between quarterback and coach, and I they kind of try to cover it up. But I think it's real. Going into the game, Aaron Donald highlighted how he thought DJ Fluker, their right guard who was a tackle last year with the Seahawks, he looks really uncomfortable there. And Fluker had another rough night. He's one of the most penalized offensive linemen since entering the league. And if, when you got a player like that who's talking about, like, yeah, he looks uncomfortable there, that's never a good sign. So Bears offense struggled. Foles has two interceptions, none being bigger than the one he threw in that threw in the goal line end zone trying to force a touchdown pass. I mean, that was pretty much the end of the game. That's what led to the 24-10 win they got. And give Chicago defense, they did all right, but they just wore down eventually. It's hard to do it for four quarters when your offense is getting absolutely nothing done. So good win for the Rams. And as we highlighted with the – on my last game, the NFC West, an unbelievable division. And yeah, I guess we still really don't know who the Bears are. So that'll be a very interesting situation to continue to monitor. Now, that's going to do it for the games, but I still have my big take of the way of the week. And it's that the Buccaneers are not just the best team in the NFC, but I believe right now playing like the best team in the NFL. You got to give it to the Chiefs just because they still won the Super Bowl. I get it. The Steelers are 6-0, but if it wasn't for like, yeah, the Chiefs won it last year. If I'm just evaluating based on what I've seen right now, I think the Buccaneers are the best team in the NFL. And I know the Steelers are 6-0, but I believe no one wants to see Tampa specifically right now. These last two weeks, they've put together such good games against two really good top 15 teams in the Raiders and a top five team in the Packers. So I've been really impressed by them. And let's just go down the Tampa team and what I like about them so much. Let's start with Brady. He's playing lights out right now, a highlighted MVP candidate, top five in the league with 18 touchdown passes, and he's already thrown for 1,190 yards. So he continues to really take advantage of this offense. The first time he shifted and been in a new offense the last few years, and he's done a great job of taking advantage of this op great opportunity he has presented in front of him. So he's done a really good job, played really efficient. He had some turnovers early, forcing some things, but has really rounded it out. When it comes to their running backs, I really like the depth they have there. They're, of course, led by Ronald Jones, having by far his best year as a pro. Leonard Fournette continues to come along in the offense, and you get a guy like Keyshawn Vaughn, who has also done a really good job there. And I would be I got to mention LaShawn McCoy, too. He's always a threat to do something really special. But what good does it do you if you have great running backs but not a good offensive line? And for, fortunately for Tampa, they have an offensive line that's playing like one of the best in the league. Donovan Smith is doing a good job at left tackle. And the interior of this offensive line, when you talk about Ali Marpet at left guard, Ryan Jensen at center, and Alex Kappa at right guard, I think that's the true strength of this offensive line. And those guys do a great job of moving those D tackles and interior D linemen out the way. So props to them. And at right tackle, rookie Tristan Wurst has come along really quickly. 
And you may be asking, why is the offensive line so key to not just the run game success, but Brady's success? It's because Brady has not lost a game in 10 years when he doesn't get sacked. So keeping him upright is absolutely key and vital to this Tampa Bay team. And they got to continue to do it. And I think they will continue to do it. So that's why they're such a threat. Now, when we look on the outside, obviously they just added Antonio Brown. And if they could get even a scratch of what he was his last few years in Pittsburgh. I mean, that's an unbelievable at the worst third receiver. He'll pro- he's still probably going to be better than Godwin almost no matter what. But Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they're both a little banged up right now, but they'll continue to get healthy, I think. And then you throw in some, even if those guys do miss some games, I've been impressed by what I've seen out of Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson, both sure-handed guys who run routes pretty well and are forming a nice repertoire with Brady. So I love Tampa's wide wide receivers and then when you look at the tight ends look how good Gronk's been the last two weeks he's kind of played himself into shape he's been a great blocker since day one but he's a really good receiver now as well and you can tell Brady still has a ton of trust in him and Cameron Braid is obviously a nice red zone threat too and then when you look at the coaching from an offensive standpoint we know Bruce Arings is an offensive mind and he's done a lot with offenses throughout his years and by it Byron Leftwich has been a really good offensive coordinator and after the season could get a head coaching opportunity because of what a good job he's done in Tampa. Shifting over to the defensive side of the ball, Todd Bowles is one of the best defensive coordinators in the in the NFL. I know it didn't go very well with him as a head coach in Jet in the Jets, but also like no one coaches the Jets very well. And I just think he's out of position there. He is best when he's in the current role that he's in as a defensive coordinator and he's got a talented defense but the biggest thing i want to credit bulls for is the development of this young secondary carlton davis james dean and sean murphy bunting are the three young corners they are all having the best years of their career and i believe a huge part of that is bulls and the development they've done on those guys also how good is it that winfield juniors come along quickly for them i thought he was a steal in the second round i thought he was for sure a first round talent coming out of minnesota and he continues to make big time plays like the pick he got against tampa so this young secondary is playing well but the real strength of this defense is the front seven. They lose Via Vea, which is a huge crushing loss, but then they trade for Steve McClellan from the Jets, and that is his definition of just a run-stuffing nose D-tackle, so that was a good ad for them. The Dominican Sioux, he's toned down the antics a little bit. Yeah, he got into it with Rodgers, but he's a really good all-around player, I think, when you factor in the multiple things he can do very well as a D-tackle, and then when you get to the edge guys, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Shaq Barrett, that's an intimidating edge duo. Barrett led the NFL in sacks last year. And Devin White and Levante David were playing like the best linebacker duo in the NFL right now. Now, why I believe this team is set up to be so successful is their remaining schedule. Their toughest games are the Saints, Rams, and Chiefs left. They could lose those games, possibly. I don't think they're losing the Saints or the Rams. They could lose to the Chiefs, though. They all come to they are those are all home games for the Buccaneers. So they're, I really see this team as a 14-2 football team. I don't think they're going to lose another game. The Saints lost. It was their first game, and the Bears lost. They had some bad luck, traveled to Chicago, and Khalil Mack was on the other side. Not every team has a Khalil Mack, so I really like the way Tampa Bay looks right now, and I think they're in great position to take the not just the NFC, but come out of the NFC and be the team representing that conference in the Super Bowl. Now, we have one more NFL topic left to cover, and that is the trade deadline is less than a week away. It's November 3rd, Election Day as well, and you know NFL teams are not just going to be rushing to the polls, but rushing to trade for big assets. We've seen some big moves already with Yannick Ngakwe going to the Ravens. I think that was a great trade for Baltimore, adding some pass rush help. Same thing for Seattle, acquiring Carlos Dunlap. Both teams seeing a position they need to upgrade and going out and getting it. So... 
What I want to do right now is go through some players that I think could be moved or potential guys that could be finding a new home come the trade deadline. Let's start out with some quarterbacks. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, two is going to be starting there. And I think there's a really good chance that if a team, maybe the Cowboys still thinks they're in it for the division, they could trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I don't think he'd cost too much. Same with a Tyrod Taylor, a veteran quarterback who lost his starting job. He could be on the move. And when we're talking about young quarterbacks, these are guys I more expect to be traded in the offseason. But... Sam Darnold, if you're the Jets, ship him away now. Just continue to make sure your own 16 can get Trevor Lawrence. And Dwayne Haskins. They've obviously moved off him. The Washington football team has, so no reason in holding on to him. When it comes to running backs, it's a boring group. But I do think a carry-on Johnson from the Lions could be on the move. He's only 23 years old and still has a ton of potential. And I think he's one of those guys that gets traded, and we don't talk about it now. But we look back and say, that was a really good trade for someone acquiring from him. When you look at the wide receivers, A.J. Green has been unhappy with the Bengals that looks, and I think he could very well be on the move. Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills, any of those Texan receivers I think could definitely be traded as the Texans continue to rebuild and retool. So be interesting to watch that. And I think the Eagles would be happy if anyone could take Alshon Jeffrey off their hands, but I just don't think that's going to happen. When you look at the tight ends, Kyle Rudolph of the Vikings could be on the move, as well as David Njoku from the Browns, who has a lot of times lately been asking to get out of there. When you look at the offensive line for NFL teams, Kevin Zeitler is a really good guard for the Giants. Joe Thune's a good guard for the Patriots. Brandon Scherf's a good guard for the Washington football team. All those guys are some of the best 10 be – all three of those guys are the, in the group of the 10 best guards in football. So I think any team looking for offensive line help could be knocking on those teams' door. When you talk about offensive tackles, I think the only one that could actually get moved is Riley Reef, probably of the Vikings, but he's very average. When you look at the edge rushing group, Tack McKinley is sitting out of his game against the Falcons, so I think there's a really good chance he gets moved, the former first-round pick. Trent Murphy of the Bills, a solid rotational edge guy. He could be gone. Melvin Ingram in a contract year with the Chargers. think he could very well be gone as well and moved. Ryan Kerrigan kind of lost his starting spot with Montez Sweat and Chase Young, so also think he's on his way out. So that's where that's probably my favorite group from a talent standpoint. Outside those wide receivers are pretty good, but there's a lot of really good pass rushers that can be had. And a guy to monitor in the defensive tackle unit is Geno Atkins. We said we saw Dunlap get traded, and Atkins is not happy right now in Cincinnati. So situation to monitor there. Linebackers, I could see Jared Davis getting moved. I just I don't know. This is the least inspiring of the groups, I think. And He's a solid player, but it just hasn't worked in Detroit, so we'll see. The cornerback group is a lot of fun, though, right now because Stephon Gilmore, there's rumors that the Patriots tried to trade him in the offseason and could be looking to do so again, so that'll be a fun one to watch, as well as Desmond King, former Pro Bowler with the Chargers in 2018. Kind of lost his starting spot there, so be interesting to see what happens there. And at safety, I think the biggest name to monitor is are both the Viking safeties, honest, honestly. Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, we've seen the Vikings struggle. Don't know how the season's going to go. I think if they lose against the Packers, they could easily be taking calls. And I think they'd get pretty good offers for Harrison Smith and Harris, seeing as they're some of the best safeties in the National Football League right now. So that's going to do it. I'm really excited for the NFL trade deadline. Excited to see what that brings. And that's going to do it from an NFL perspective. Really quick, two thoughts on the NBA. Number one, Daryl Morey was hired as the president of basketball operations for the 76ers. I like this move, but I'm interested to see how it works with Embiid and Simmons. I think he, I think he's definitely going to blow it up and trade for a star. I would be really interested to see Ben Simmons in Minnesota with his former high school teammate, D'Angelo Russell. I think they could get that first round pick to and pair Embiid with a LaMelo ball or an Anthony Edwards. So interesting to watch there with Morey because of how trade happy we know him to be. 
And also, quickly, there's rumors the NBA season starting on December 21st. As much as I would love that to happen, I do not buy it. I think we're a January 18th, Martin Luther King Day, 2021 start date because that gives guys like LeBron more time to rest up. LeBron has so much power and sway into what the league does each year, and I think he's going to persuade them to start later so him and the rest of these teams have more time to recover it's kind of punishing the lakers if you start a little earlier because we know they're an older veteran team i know the young teams have been off for a while and it's a difficult thing but i believe the stars are going to win out and the season is going to be delayed whatever this shortened season looks like is going to be delayed till january 18th 2021 Guys, that's going to do it for this edition of From the Stands. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in, guys. And I look forward to being back next week with you guys, recapping more exciting news in the sports world. Signing off.